Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast, it's all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life. And I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 32. All right, buckle up, because we're going to talk about relationships in ways you probably never heard before, at least that was my take, when I heard our guest. She is Jessica Baum, and she is the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach, she provides couples therapy, family counseling, and addiction therapy in South Florida. She's been doing that for the past 10 years. And she is also the author of a best-selling new book, fantastic read, Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love. Now, as you can imagine, she has helped thousands of clients with her unique approach to healing. It's called the Self-Full Method. And through her sister company, Be Self-Full, Jessica offers transformational courses and online coaching services that support individuals and couples to form healthy, long-term relationships. And that's what we're all after, isn't it? Now, before I introduce you to Jessica, all of us, we're going to get something different from this. We may be seeking a more secure and satisfying relationship, or we want to communicate better with our partner. Or maybe you're finding that certain behaviors uh, are getting in your way of finding and sustaining love. Wherever you might be, Jessica Baum is going to give you some fresh insights into all that and more. So now, let's not waste any more time. She is here. This is episode 32, and here is Jessica Baum. Hey, Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. Good to have you on. It's so great to be here. Thank you. We're finally here together, so I'm excited for this conversation. We did have our challenges, but that means it's going to be awesome. So it's uh, thanks for being on the show. You are so focused on relationships, right? Understatement of the year. But tell us about your background. How did you make it to Palm Beach and focused of all the areas you could focus your time and talents? Why this area? Take us back a bit. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, a big question. But yeah, born and raised in New York um, City till like about seven or eight, then New Jersey, then back in the city. I did my schooling mostly up in New York. And I struggled a lot with um, anxiety and depression in my early 20s. So I came down to Florida, actually work with horses. I had been a horseback rider my whole life and through working with horses, decided to go back to school to become a psychotherapist. Wow. So yeah, when I originally came into the field, I wanted to help depression and I do, but um, as working in the field, I started working in treatment centers because that's what we have here in South Florida. And I really built a niche for helping codependency and family systems. So I really started to look at the relational dynamic in um, the family systems of someone with a scapegoat or identified addict. And um, through my own relationships and my own relationship struggles and my own struggles with codependency and what I was seeing and what I was treating, um, I became certified in Imago therapy, which is a particular type of couples counseling that is profound. Um, so mm. for those who are listening, it's it's a experiential couples counseling. Imago means image. So you sit there with your loved one. And I did this with family, um, family systems and also with couples and your wounds from the past get show, show up in the present in your relationships. And so through this type of therapy, I was helping people really get conscious of what was going on in the here and now. And I was transforming relationships and family dynamics. And I was helping a lot of treatment centers with family programs. And I think we're in relation to everything where we have a relationship to ourself, which is usually where a lot of this stems from. So in our relationship to self and how we developed early on 
we have then a lens and a way in which we respond and relate to others in our world. Became a couples counselor, also through my own work. Um, I identify in the book as having anxious attachment and moving towards earned security. And I think through codependency and everything that I've seen in my life, it was like attachment theory and healing attachment and understanding your adaptive behaviors. It's like the missing link for all those codependency books that I read. I didn't get anything about the nervous system or the developmental process or what was happening inside my body. And once I learned deep, deep dive into attachment theory and the energy and relationship, I was like, okay, this is what I needed when Mm. I was 21. I wrote, this is the book I needed in my thirties. This explains my patterns. This explains what's happening in, you know, the anxious avoidant dance that I go into. So it really kind of just manifested it by what I was experiencing in my own world, but also what I was seeing working in my private practice. Let's start maybe defining about attachment style. What, what is the attachment style? Do, does everyone have one and is there a right, right one or a wrong one? Or tell us more about what is attachment style? There are four different styles and I say styles. And for this podcast, I'll explain their embedded patterns and none are bad or good. They're just adaptive strategies that are formed early on and lay the foundational blueprint for our nervous system, how we respond in pain, how we respond to intimacy, how we respond to abandonment, how we feel safe in the world, how we develop inherent trust with another. And as humans, we're not born fully developed. We don't have a hippocampus yet. We don't have all of our nervous system developed yet. We don't even have our parasympathetic nervous system built. For those of you who are listening, that's the part of you that can calm yourself down. That's the rest and digest part of you. So our primary caregiver is a stand-in for us as one energetic unit as we continue to develop. Ah. And depending on how much we trust and learn that if we cry out and our needs are going to get met, we develop a way of responding and learning to trust the world. And a good portion of people have a more secure base. So they have inherent trust. Their self-esteem is pretty good. Maybe their parents were able to see them, to validate them. They saw into their inner world. And so they developed a secure sense of self. And then the other three categories are more insecure types of patterns. So for the anxious person, it's kind of like you have this feeling like you want to be in connection, but the ball might always drop. You know, it's typically what people think of codependent relationships. Um, You're always giving your adaptive strategy is I must do this to keep this person happy. Um, You tend to lose track of your inner world and track your external world. So you'll track your partner, you'll know their mood, you know what they're thinking and you (laughs) self-abandon. And actually that's a very early adaptive strategy. Hmm. And then there's more avoidant where you disembody from your own experience and you shut down and you don't trust others will meet your needs. And then there's fearful, which is a combination of both. And really we can have, it's so layered more than just the styles, but we usually have one strategy we go into when we're scared or we're trying to get into connection or we're feeling overwhelmed by connection. And so anxious people tend to want to resolve conflict right away. They tend to self-sacrifice. They tend to go into anxiety if someone's shutting down or not responding to them. And that's because connection wasn't always safe for them or consistent. And a big piece is consistency for them. So, you know, if you know that about yourself, just know that's how you, that's how you adapt it. And that's where we start. And there's nothing wrong with any 
of them. It's just, you kind of want to start to become aware of it so we can heal it and, and feel more inner security and have more security in your relationships. Wow. Okay. Well, as if, as if I had to tell you, I'm not a psychotherapist at all. Right. So I, so these questions are very, very basic, but in, in your work of 10 years and working with couples and focused on relationships. So how do these attachment styles then come to come to light? If I'm a anxiously you know, anxious versus um, avoidant, uh, in what way does it really play out in, 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 a, in a relationship? For example, I just want to make sure I get it. No, that's a great question. Um, anxious and avoidant people tend to be attracted to each other. And I could probably do a whole <laughs> podcast on that. So if you're anxious, your nervous system gets scared and fight flight kicks in and you try to get back into connection. Okay. You struggle with self-regulation. That was the missing link. The developmental link is that you didn't get enough co-regulation. So self-soothing is not really a skill you're great at. So when you're fighting with your partner, you're trying to fix it as fast as you can. Yeah. And you go, you shift into a sympathetic mode and you usually have a, a core wound of abandonment. Hmm. An avoidant person is basically the opposite end of the spectrum, but the same wound. I can't trust relationships. And when I'm upset, I either shut down I flee. I move away from the intimacy. They're usually more scared of intimacy, not as scared of abandonment. And so while you have one person needing to get close to feel safe, you literally have another person needing to pull away for their nervous system to regulate. So what happens is both people want to be in connection, but the way they adapted to survive takes them out of connection in order to do what they think they need to do or their body needs to do to become safe again. So you have one person running towards at a desperation, not connection to get connection because they're feeling abandonment and they're feeling anxiety. And you have another person feeling overwhelmed and running away and wanting yeah. space to regulate their system. And neither people are trying to hurt each other at all. It can be a very turbulent pattern. I believe all relationships have patterns or else they wouldn't be interesting, but <laughs> understanding that the underpinnings of the nervous system and the core wounds on each side, it can be a rich path for healing as well. So that's what, you know, it's a harder path, but not necessarily, it can be a healing path, but I feel like people need the information in my book. I go over the anxious avoiding dance on both sides in the most compassionate way ever, because avoidant people tend to get a bad rap and it's simply not the case. Usually I do talk about narcissism and the difference between um, avoidance and narcissism. And there is a very big difference there, but just understanding that, you know, we partner up with someone and our embedded patterns are embedded nervous system patterns and our, you know, core wounds show up and it can be in direct opposition of what our partner needs in the moment. And that's where a lot of conflict happens and people are, don't understand what's really going on on deeper wow. levels. Wow. So it's, it's gotta be just painful to watch, painful to experience. So it's, you're not saying that if you are both those styles to, that you should not date or that you should not marry. I, I don't think you're saying that, but it's, in fact, I'll ask you, what, how, how does that play out then in a marriage and, and in relationship? Because that's opposites attract is what I'm hearing in that. And it's kind of, mm -hmm. kind yeah. of ma magic and fun. But wait a minute, when we start getting down into it, there's this dance that kind of gets problematic. Typically, an avoidant person is attracted to an anxious person's liveliness, their vulnerability. Huh. Um, they're very open. Um, and an, an anxious person can be attracted to the perceived 
stoicness, alphaness, or independence. And they're really attracted to the lost energy within themselves. And so this can play out in varying degrees. And what I'm saying is every relationship has a pattern and a dance, or most do. And some are very, very workable when you start to understand this. And some are just too turbulent because the wounding is too deep and there's a lot of projection going on. So it really depends on the relationship. But to think that relationships don't dance around intimacy, most of them, you know, it's just whether or not can we navigate this? Can we get conscious around what's really happening? Can we grow? Is this sustainable? Is this yeah. safe? You know, and so that's why I wanted this information out there, because I think a lot of the anxious avoidant relationships are sustainable, are can be beautiful pathways in if both people are invested and want to heal. And that's the key, you know. And so, you know, for anxious people, I think there's also a curiosity, like what is really going on with my avoidant partner? And I kind of, once you start to understand that they're suffering too, and this is what it looks like for them, there's compassion that's, you know, in your own healing and also kind of starting to see people's behaviors through different lenses. Wow. That's fascinating. Now let's, let's talk about your new book, Anxiously Attached. Um, We've been talking about it here um, directly and indirectly. You could have written any book. Why this one? Well, I mean, personally, I definitely struggle with anxious attachment myself. And I felt like I needed to write the book of what I was experiencing and what I was healing in my personal life and also in my private practice and explain the sensational experience, the implicit wound, the subconscious aspects to women, but men are actually, there's so many men also reading it too, but like to the 20 year old in me, the 30 year old in me, the 40 year old in me, I have 50, you know, to kind of help the codependent type of person get new answers and start Mm. to understand themselves differently. And um, yeah, I'm fascinated with the dynamics of relationships. And I, I think it just made sense given what I had personally been through and what I seen working in my practice for now I've been in private practice for 17 years. Um, but what I had been seeing in my private practice working. So it was, you know, I think your, your, your book picks you. I, I don't, it's not, it's a combination like it. of things. It's a kind of a spiritual process. So that's what I wanted to give to the world. I don't know how much of a choice I had in it, to be honest. I like it. I like uh-huh. it. I mean, it's very, very deep, very purpose-driven as well. You mentioned a couple of times, you know, that, that, that 21 year old, um, what what might that what would you hope that a twenty one year old would would gain from reading from reading your book? Let's just talk about that that age group, brand new in life. Oh God, it, it's so funny because I originally wrote the book for a twenty year old, but it ended up Did being you? an older, yeah, like a, a much older population because my book goes into a lot of science, so it really fit like a very big gamut. But originally, it was the book I remember, and I open up about being hospitalized for severe anxiety in the book. And I remember being in the hospital and my first book was um, Facing Codependency. And it was my first self-help book that I ever read in my whole life. And it was like speaking right to me. Wow. It was like, finally, I have the answer to some of it. You know what I mean? And I think from then on, I was obsessed with learning around what was going on inside of me, why I was struggling. I I don't know if this is embarrassing to admit, but I think I've read almost, I've read a lot of self-help books and I really truly love them. And I love when you read a book and you feel like the author is speaking to you and there are some answers for what you're experiencing. And 
I think that I, you know, through reading all those codependency books, I just, and doing my own work, I needed to offer the attachment lens, the neuroscience behind this a little bit more, just more science backed information, which you wouldn't feel that if you read my book is not just for millennials. It's actually very complex and, and reaches a very, very large audience in terms of age range. Good for you. Good for you. Well, then the follow-up on that though, is that for the reader in general, right? Uh, all age, all age groups, what would you hope that the reader would think or do differently as a result of reading that book? What, what do you think or hope that they would gain from it? I think just really understanding that your behaviors make sense. You know, forming some self-compassion, some insight to different parts of yourself, how you adapted, um, taking away some shame and shifting it into um, into self-compassion and a deeper understanding. I think when you start to deeply understand how you developed and how you you adapted and you start to make sense of your behaviors, the shame goes down. And it's like you're now on the path of being with these parts of yourself and seeing yourself in a new way. What role do nervous systems play? Uh, and not only and not only as individuals, but also when we are together in a in a in a in a relationship. Everything. Everything. So our, and not only that, I'm talking specifically in the book about the automatic nervous system. So when you shift into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, um, that happens automatically through what we call neuroception. So when we're with our partner and they pick up the phone or they don't look at us or they miss a date or they something happens, something cues our body that this doesn't feel safe. And all, and we could shift into fight, flight, freeze. There's a lot of different nervous system states and that's not a choice. Hmm. Our body just does that. And it does that based on our early developmental patterns that were embedded in our nervous system when we were really young. But I make the reader really aware of how their nervous system shows up in their relationship and the story they attach to these nervous system responses that we get stuck and trapped in constantly in our relationship. One thing that I'm a big believer in, I need you to coach me on this and help me see it differently. We all have limiting beliefs that we tell ourselves, et cetera. Can you piece it together for me from more of a psychotherapist view? Sure. Um, that's a great question. So your brain is much slower than your body and your thoughts are really not that relevant. But if you oh. have anxious attachment, there might be a belief that I will always be left. If you have avoidant attachment, um, there might be a belief that I can't really trust anyone else. These inherent things come from early developmental um, situations, but Here's the thing, when you're going through these experiences in your body, the sensational experiences, you usually attach a narrative to those sensational experiences. So 80% of the information is being set up from our body to our brain. So if you were to upset me right now and do something that cued something deeper in me, my body would send it up to my brain and then I would make a story up about you when really you cued something that's familiar and has happened maybe perhaps many times in my life or caused me pain, but we tend to blame people in the here and now for what might be getting cued. So the narrative or the story we go in is usually attached to I'm unlovable. I'm not good enough. Um, I can't, nothing works out for me, but those, those are the story you really want to get in touch. How does that feel in your body? When did you feel that before? This is thematic. We need to connect the themes. The sensation and 
the body hold the wisdom. The narrative is basically what your slower brain is trying to make sense of a lot of information going upwards. Wow. That's a whole different perspective for me. In the book review of Anxiously Attached, uh, there was a comment that was made about your book and how you approach things that it, this, this topic of attachment styles and what you're doing, is it more important than ever? In fact, Ruby Warrington wrote the uh, review. It's so important in this era of disconnection. Have you seen a increase in this whole, is it truly an era of disconnection? And if so, how do we, how do we solve for that or improve on that? What do you think? Yeah, I love Ruby. Um, there's a lot involved in how we're moving more into like a narcissistic uh, relating to the world very transactionally versus our right mode of being. And, you know, Ruby's right. Like, unfortunately, the numbers are showing that more insecure attachment styles are on the rise due to the transactional nature of dating and being online and people not getting conscious of their own work and people not understanding um, how relationships require work and not having the resources or the help. And I think just the dissociation or the numbing out with being online all the time and forming a relationship with your screen and losing, I mean, I'm talking about neurodevelopment, you know, kids on their iPads for hours and hours and what's that's doing. It's, it's not helping. Yeah. More and more parents are preoccupied and not available and fully present and more and more distractions are there and, you know, internet and the way in which we connect in internet has been wonderful through COVID in terms of having something, but it doesn't replace human to human interaction and community. And we're, we belong so much more in nature, in community, in face-to-face interaction. And the screen is hurting us and the transactional nature of just get on Tinder or get on Bubble or get rid of this relationship or go on to the next line. It's like, no, your patterns exist in you. There might be better partners that you could couple with, but your patterns are going to play out over and over again. But our our society is, yeah, it's moved to be very uh, consumer-based and instantaneous and transactional. And a lot of people are like, let me just get rid of and start over. I know. There's so many apps that are out there and ways to connect with others and to and to meet people. And um, yeah, I just I just don't understand it. What's your view on it? There's so many problems with people only wanting the transaction online. Like they want to, like what I see with clients, like the person never really wants to meet up with you or they want to have sex, whatever. There's all these crazy stories and like true availability is very hard to suss out. And, um, you know, the good old organic way of expanding your world. There you go. You know what I mean? Like expanding yeah. your hobbies, your world, your interactions, being open. And I'm not saying it can't happen online, but it's like people are going online. It, it, it's complicated yeah. because I, it's not <laughs> a bad thing. Many people have found love online, but yes, there are yeah. many people online who don't really want love on what, you know, and so it's hard to suss that out. There, I think that's a perfect summation. That's why you're the psychotherapist. So thank you. Okay, Jessica, you've given us a lot to think about. What is the best way to keep in touch with you, to follow you and all the cool projects you're working on? On my Instagram, Jessica Baum, LMHC is a great way. On my Instagram or at beselffull.com, there's an email list. You can subscribe all my courses. When I run them out and you're on my list, I usually get discounts to people who are on my list. Okay, Jessica, at the end of each episode, I ask every guest, what is your I Dare You Challenge? For all of us, 
So to you, what is your I dare you challenge for us? What do you got? Be open to support. Whatever support looks like. I see a lot of people getting stuck. Um, someone who's really educated and has the, your inherent best interest at heart, be open to listening. Be open to receiving the information that you need to receive so that your psyche can kind of wrap its head around it. If you're listening, be open to growing, whatever that means for you. I mean, I live my life like that. Sometimes that's hard, but you know, through growth and healing, good things come and healing sometimes is messy and painful, but you don't have to do any of it alone and healing doesn't happen alone. So being open to whatever support comes through, whether it's a really good listening friend or a family member or a therapist or a coach, just be open to allowing that to come into your life because that's how healing happens in healing relationships. So just stay open. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It was really fun to get to meet you. I'm glad we finally got our calendar synced up and we made it happen. We were persistent and I think it paid off. It was great to have you here and for giving us a, a whole different lens and as we look at our relationships in our lives. So thank you for that. And thank you for being part of the podcast. It was great having you here. Thank you. It was awesome. I am so glad everyone had a chance to meet Jessica Baum. She is so committed to relationships, isn't she? And I love, if you caught this in the interview, uh, she talked about the attachment styles and how relationships are so complex. She said that's, how, that's what makes relationships so interesting. You could almost hear her smiling when she said that. Make sure you follow her on Instagram. You're going to learn so much more about relationships. Great perspective, backed up by science. And now that you listen to the episode, who in your life do you want to share this episode with? Take that next step right now. Also, follow me on Instagram at DarrenJohnson1. Drop me a note. Let me know how you're enjoying these episodes. I love getting your messages. Also, follow us on Instagram, the podcast that is, at IDareYouPod. There we give you exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. Join us. We'd love to see you there. I'm excited about episode 33 coming up. It's going to be another good one. And I'm so appreciative that you are here every single week listening in. It means a lot. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you. Thank you. We'll see you back here next week. I'll see you then.